come, come and sit by my hearth. Warm your hands at the fire and your soul with some scotch. That's my favorite, but I do have more to offer you. Rest a while. Allow me to share with you a few stories, and I would love to hear one from you. My words will weave for you a tapestry of life. I will show you spirits without time. I will show you ancestors who, very much like we are now, shared stories around a fire. I will show you how those spirits and ancestors have led me from discovery to knowing, and from knowing to following. Discovering? Knowing? Following what, you ask? The answer is simple. My path. Welcome to Runewalking in Modern Times. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Runewalking in Modern Times. I'm Ken, the Runewalker, your host. I finally get to unveil, maybe that's the wrong word, but I finally get to unveil the person responsible for the beautiful antler amulet that I posted on social media last week. I'm very excited for you to meet Sophia Fate Changer. Sophia is the author of The Language of Fire and Ice, A Beginner's Guide to the Elder Futhark. Sophia has been a practitioner of Norse paganism for 20 years and has dedicated much of that time cultivating a radically inclusive, anti-racist, heathen practice called The Way of Fire and Ice, alongside Ryan Smith. They teach three-room classes, a trance class, and a sigil workshop through the Fire and Ice tradition, which can be found at onblackwings.com, along with their book, The Language of Fire and Ice. They are published in Pagan Consent Culture, an anthology that includes their essay on consent within heathenry. They are a founding member of Between the Veils and work as a full-time artist specializing in rune sets from rare materials such as bogwood, bogu, Siberian elm, antler, and more. They also specialize in heathen sigil design and creating sacred objects for pagan practitioners. Sophia has volunteered time to developing progressive community agreements for Between the Veils, Hexenfest, and has advised on other smaller projects. Identifying as a mixed person of color, non-binary, and a runewalker, they strive to make their classes and teaching accessible to all. You guys, I had such a great conversation with Sophia, and I'm, and I'm excited to share it with you. So, without further ado, Sophia, Fate Changer. The basic three questions that pull everyone into their body because it's a memory, it's a visceral, it's a, yeah. So um, what is your favorite food at the moment? So my favorite food is Indian cuisine uh, in general. Um, okay. And I 
think it's my favorite because it's just, it's something that I didn't have growing up. It's something that I only um, experienced like, cause I grew up in a pretty small area. It's pretty, pretty small town. So um, I didn't experience it until I, li I lived in the Bay area. And um, at the same time, uh, of experiencing different cuisine, especially Indian food, I was also introduced to like so many new cultures and so many new ideas and, and so many new things. So I think I kind of associate it with that and like the complexity of the, the tastes. And, you know, recently I've been learning to uh, make some curry sauces and stuff in my own kitchen. Um, oh, wow which is really, it's really like an art. And, uh, you know, I, I work so heavily with, uh, with Freyer in my kitchen um, as a deity of, of abundance uh, and, and love yep. and peace. Um, uh, so I think Indian food is the favorite food right now. <laughs> I, be forever. I believe, um, I believe you shared that with Terry uh, from Thorson's workshop. Um, I'm uh I don't like spicy food like sometimes I say this and people I know don't get it but saltine crackers are sometimes too spicy for me <laughs> so like anytime anyone mentions spicy I'm all oh that's 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 great um no not for this tongue um, <laughs> it could be overwhelming um, there's a lot going on in Indian food <laughs> well and you know I also come from probably this is a good this is probably why I'm a little jacked up with the spice. I come from a culture that overly hot tonizes things. Like we don't we don't know how to balance we don't know how to balance flavors. We, oh, we flavor just, with, we and taste with like heat. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. like heat for the sake of heat. I like if there's going to be heat, there better be flavor backing that heat, or it's nonsensical to me. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. So I, I, I know where my rooted problem is. <laughs> um, okay, what about, I don't know if you partake of adult beverages, but if you do, what is your favorite? And if not, what is also just another drink without um, adultness to it? <laughs> so um it's really so it's really interesting so um my favorite meteries have all like shut down and that is like so sad to me <laughs> um I really loved um a variety of different meads from yeah. a meadery in San Jose California that was called rabbit's foot meadery um, mm -hmm. unfortunately they've shut down. They made just like this perfect, like semi-sweet balance. Like it didn't taste like cough syrup. It wasn't so dry that it made you wince. It, they made like a variety of, of semi-sweet meads that I loved. Um, there was one closer to home, um, called Honey Run Meadery. They made an amazing elderberry and a blackberry mead. They were really affected by the Paradise Fire. So they have unfortunately shut down, um, so now I, I really like hydron mead, which is um, also a mead that's from California. It's a little bit on the drier side, but really flavorful. Um, but yeah, when I'm out like at a bar or something, I try to edge towards like drier ciders um, or uh, stouts and porters. I don't like to be able to see through it if it's a beer, you know, I like to be looking into the abyss if it's a beer. <laughs> Um, I actually love that you called it looking into an abyss. Um, uh, we actually probably need to um, get someone to create a stout named Ganunga Gap. That would be, be like brilliant. 
Uh, I like it. I like it. If anyone out there is listening and you own your own like brewery or whatever, make that and send us some. We'll both try it. We only want 10%. Uh, Yes. Yes. There is a, there is a fee for the name because now we're going to trade. You can't trademark and then you got, damn it. Um, All right. Um, Okay. Last of the three questions. Where is your favorite place? Well, since I haven't been to Iceland, I can't say Iceland, but I imagine it would be Iceland. (laughs) Just because Iceland is so cool with its, um, you know, I think people think of Iceland, especially heathens, and they think, oh, it was, you know, a bunch of people from Norway that came over, but really people like from Scotland um, and Ireland also came over. And that's why Iceland has such crazy, weird uh, mythology. And I just think I'd have a really good relationship with the land there. So from afar, never visiting it, that's my favorite place. But of places that I have visited, um, I'm I'm Pennsylvania Dutch. I'm half Pennsylvania Dutch. And so um, Pennsylvania and the Poconos uh, hold a special place in my heart, especially the Poconos in the fall are incredibly beautiful with the, the changing of leaves. Um, yeah. oh, there's no, there's nothing quite like it and you you're driving through the valleys and you're seeing like all the hex signs like this one I have uh is, is from that area um oh, wow. the hex sign of abundance um and wow. you know I just I it the hex signs and the barns and the leaves and everything just like matches and like goes together it's really beautiful um I also love um there is a place in Oakland called Chapel of the Chimes and it is uh, this mausoleum, but it's like, it's it's a few stories high and um, every summer solstice, they have like this experimental music um, situation happen where like, like dozens of groups of, of people doing like, who've like invented their own instruments or invented their own genre and stuff like that are hidden in like the little, um, dead ends of this mausoleum and it has like these beautiful quotes they're probably biblical but I don't care it's still magical <laughs> um, quotes like all over them and there's just urns that are like urns that are in the shapes of books and like stacked like books in in um, wow. bookcases and just like the most it's the most insane beautiful mausoleum I have ever seen and then at sunset um on uh, summer solstice, they they do this big chime and like everybody toasts and drinks and is happy. It's just, it's a magical experience you can ever go do. That's really do. cool. Yeah. Um, I love that. I can, I can just imagine kind of like the, like being inundated with all of the, the scents things so like the visual the vibration from the hearing um and probably uh being a a mausoleum there's a certain scent of death um, Mm -hmm. or must or or like aging like a like an age seller you know like that would be like really um like visceral for being in that space it's very, it's a very liminal space. And I will say that it's the one play, it's the one um, uh, graveyardy mausoleum type of space that I've been in where the dead really feel included in this, in what's going on um, in, 
here in Midgard. Yeah. Um, there really is such a there. I don't even want to say a fine line of separation. I want to just say like that veil is completely gone and they are celebrating and they are like glad that they are there. They are they are happy to be there. I I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's mm-hmm. um, I think. I think that I would love to start chatting with you. Um, you know, we, we talked a bit before uh, recording and um, we've, now, we've now known each other um, at, at least through social media Two since years. before the pen, like right around pandemic time. Yeah, it, yeah, I, I would say, yeah, like was, right before pandemic, right before, right pandemic. before 2020, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so um, I, <laughs> we have so much to talk about. Um, I have several pieces of your art. I have a set of runes, that's the bogwood. Um, and then I have um, this beautiful, I'm, I will post pictures, folks, for those of you who are listening. Um, I'm sorry, um, this beautiful amulet. Um, and that's only like part of your, of your path. Mm-hmm. Um, is creating these magical sigils and rune sets. So um, how did it start? Like, h- how did you end up where you are today? Um, minus the, the night that your parents spent together. Um, but like- <laughs> um, Like on my rune path? Yeah, yeah. Like how did, you know, you're, you're creating art, you're teaching room classes, you're doing readings, you're doing all of these things because it's, it's you. I don't even want to call it part of your path or your path. It's just you, like you're you. And how, when did, maybe, when did the runes or the Northern traditions uh, begin to, to, to be remembered by you and being remembered in, and become part of a, a manifesting in your life? Okay, so um, this is this so this is a really interesting uh, question with some really interesting answers. (laughs) Thank God, because I don't want people to be bored. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I know it's going to be interesting if it's you, because like there's just so it's complex, and I love it, and it's beautiful. So thank you for being on the show again, first of all. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Um, yeah, no, I'm really excited to be here. Um, so my, my, uh, my rune and, and, uh, Norse, uh, Norse paganism practice started, I was, um, 14 and, um, somebody, uh, I was dating at the time, um, was really excited about his, uh, Scandinavian roots and his last name, um, had, has the word Thor in it. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh, well, you know, that kind of sounds cool. Like, I'll go down this path with you. And then, you know, um, years later, I have taken it like way further than he did. Um, but, you know, buying my first um, books on Norse uh, mythology from, you um, you know, Barnes and Noble, the local Barnes and Noble, uh, buying my first books on the occult in general at my local used bookstore in downtown Chico. Um, I just remember sitting in that new age section, just being like, what's here? And it's just like, a, you know, a little treasure trove of like amazingness. Um, 
And I got my first set of runes when I was uh, 16 in South Lake Tahoe. I still have them to this day, although very recently lost one of them. Uh, it's a good thing I make runes. I <laughs> they like to jump ship sometimes yeah. and go on walkabout by themselves. Yeah. And then they, they end up coming back um, sometimes. <laughs> I think this one won't come back because I lost it uh, in a hotel at uh, at the conference I put on between the uh, gathering paths uh, between the veils conference. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Like it was that was a that was a crazy experience in and of itself. And you know if the room if the, the hotel wanted to eat one of my room runes, that's okay. I will. I can. I can forge another. <laughs> it's a sacrifice for the greater good. Exactly, exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I, as far as like really kind of honing down and how I ended up um, more deeply into the path of, of sigil creating and, um, you know, rune making and stuff is more of a, a, a financial avenue is uh, really after I became a mom, um, we moved to a smaller town because we got priced out of the Bay Area. Um, and it didn't really make a whole lot of sense for me to work because then I'm just paying for babysitting and not really taking home anything. So I'm like, well, I'll spend time at home with my kid and I'll do the thing I love the most, which is make art and making magical art. And so that's really when um, I, I started doing that. And then um, uh, after my friend Ryan Smith uh, wrote the book, uh, The Way of Fire and Ice, and then um, he poked and prodded and like, hit me <laughs> until I wrote my my tiny baby book the, the language of fire and ice um which is basically the sibling book it just more talks specifically about the elder Futh arc goes into more detail um yeah. and then after that is really when I started realizing that I have the capacity to uh teach classes I come from a family of um of scholars and teachers um and so it is kind of inherently in my in my blood to do so. And I'm like, well, why, you know, let's do this. And this year we're expanding upon more of our classes. And uh, it's it's been uh, it's been a journey. <laughs> so you know, thank goodness. Thank yeah. Goodness. Thank goodness it wasn't like, oh, it's just been a journey. And it's like, no, it's been a journey. Like it's yeah. been a, it's been a journey. That's how I feel. Um, that's I feel like they're the influence of the runes and the gods in life, <laughs> in my life, is not the same as the religion I was, you know, brought up in. Okay. Um, so <laughs> things are different. It, it can be a wild ride. It can be it can be a party, but it's meant to be experienced. Yeah. That's, oh yeah absolutely <laughs> and I do think that's where kind of all of this comes into play you know like he speaking of Odin um he just wants to have experiences um yeah. and and 
and it doesn't mean that there are lessons in them all the time, but hell, I'm going to experience what it is to do this and this. And, and just even having the experience grows our, our wisdom and our knowledge base. So I absolutely feel like the one thing that sometime, sometimes is missing is the lived experience of Northern traditions or Norse mm -hmm. or paganism uh, and the runes. They're not lived. They're just studied and yeah. not lived. Um, so for me, you know, I, I, I completely uh, get what you're saying because <laughs> they sometimes can be very bossy. Um, for sure, for about, sure. And they pull us in ways, they, they pull us in ways that I feel like in modern times, um, you know, we're, it, it's a calling. Um, as we were kind of discussing um, before the show and what I kind of want to tap back into is, yes, you know, the, the runes um, come from tribal societies from which, you know, we as, as modern people, as modern practitioners, um, it, especially in developed countries, you know, we don't live in these tribal societies anymore. And I feel like these runes, the runes challenge us in this way to remind us of where we came from. And I feel like instinctually, uh, many of us gravitate to the runes because they teach us of things that I think, I think, I think in like a genetic memory sort of way, um, we wake up and remember. It's like forgetting. It's not that we never knew, it's that we forgot something and it like wakes up this, um, this reminder that we should be, you know, that we're coming from uh, our ancestors that were living in tighter knit societies that were, you know, dependent on each other and we all had a place. And, you know, I think it's like, you know, removing that uh, from people, it creates um, a lot of depression and a lot of anxiety and a lot of sadness and a lot, a lot of just like, what is the meaning of life? I think we really knew what that was. And I think the runes really uh, can remind us and bring us back to um, what the meaning of life was. And, you know, that is, again, like the teaching of Manaj, um, I feel is uh, an individual finding their place uh, in community and community finding their place for the ind individual and just the symbiotic relationship of we are pack animals. We are pack animals. <laughs> and uh, the runes just really bring us back to this uh, animistic view that everybody whose ancestors are indigenous to somewhere had uh, lived in tribal societies and had these animistic perspectives of connectedness. Um, brilliantly put, yes. Um, there, there are so, and so I kind of sometimes break things down into story, right? Like the story of that is this. Now, the different parts that, that make that story rich um, and interesting are, you know, certain things like um, with Yira, for instance, I was talking about this with someone the other day, kind of having the concept of after like reward after hard work is as kind of one of the, one of the personality traits of Yira, right, is, mm -hmm. is quite a modern interpretation because the idea is that you, 
you take care of the land and you plant and then you're, you take care of those and then you harvest it. Well, it's not about reward. It's about survival. Exactly. It's exactly. about doing things to eat. It's not about yes. like, oh, here's your reward. Exactly. No, man, you just make it through the winter. You know, yeah. like, you get to eat. So, and your reward and, is life. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fascinating. So, I thank you. I, I love that. Um, I, I would say for me, the closest when you were talking about lo, uh, you know, local tribal communities, my thought was when I grew up in a small town in rural Utah of about 300 people, um, and you, you guys, it was decades and decades ago, <laughs> but um, we had, even though like the Mormon church was the center, we still had people who were Catholic, and yet we all still came together in, to, to have like the holiday or Christmas program and we mm -hmm. all did it together as a town yeah. and if something happened to our water supply or to you know whatever people came together and made and made it better they would go to work come home and go to work on that and that right. happened with my grandparents but now I still live in that town um, it's much bigger um, but the people I know are the people that I knew back then we don't have that same tight knit um that that tight knit balance of cre credit and debt that we keep going with each other which creates the weave of community right we owe and then we right pay and, that's and so, so very thank <laughs> uh yes yes it is yeah and so i think I, I love that i love that you brought that up um so let me ask you let me ask you this um because we'll get we'll get to where people can find you because I, I want people to find you. Um, mm -hmm. And what I would like to ask you at this moment is because we're having this conversation via Zoom, right? Mm -hmm. um, what, what are your ideas and thoughts about this idea of community uh, being sp spread out by thousands of miles sometimes um and and for you know the people who were who were the the artisans or the the diviners of the community the teachers of the community it looks very it can look very different now in our in our modern society and and how, you know what what are your thoughts about how uh, how to work with that or 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 what are your experiences that you've that you've had maybe that are, are are not so localized? Yeah, I think that that is an incredibly valid question, especially now that um, again, like Zoom has been so uh, normalized, especially through um, you know COVID times and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's still important. I think there are uh, you know I think well okay first of all. I think it's really important to remember, like you said, we are modern practitioners. We are modern practitioners. It is the year 2023. It is not the year 1600. We do not have to be afraid to do things a little bit differently uh, than they were historically done. Um, and I know uh, that, that sometimes um, folks don't often have access, especially you know, in rural communities. Um, 
to anything but out outside you know outside of their immediate area um and and i think it's uh it's really important that uh we do provide platforms of meeting like this i think it's really important that um you know the the bigger groups out there that are working on um, teaching folks how to build smaller communities in their area, um, that they continue to do that and continue to provide resources because it's really, you know, you wouldn't think to yourself, oh, you know, like I'll just get five people together at the same day and the same time. It's difficult. <laughs> it's very difficult. Um, you know, and just like uh, learning um, the different roles that people can play uh, in in smaller local groups and stuff, if that's something that they can do, um, always providing um, ways that people uh, can access things um, like teaching and and ritual, although I will say I have found that ritual is very difficult to conduct on Zoom. I, I have yes. yet to go to one that I feel was completely fulfilling. Um, so if anybody has some tips on how to make that experience better, contact me, please. Uh, me too, <laughs> because that's the one thing that, that I do think, I, I, I would love to have a more local uh, group. And I uh, going back to one of the things you said earlier, kind of referencing, I do believe that is one of the things that we are missing yeah. that seems to be very debilitating yeah um currently i think and i think it could be easily solved by just being included as part of the community not mm -hmm. based upon your spiritual belief yet yeah. we we see this um Oh, I, I had to have a, let me pause. I had to have a conversation with Jesus the other day in the car <laughs> coming home be, and it was an apology. Like it was an apology because um, I will often talk about the Christianization of our stories from the, you, you know, uh, Northern traditions, Norse pagan, Anglo-Saxon. Um, and, and I talk about it as it's his fault, but really it's the people who claim to be followers of him. That, right did it right so i, I had to be down this, with jesus honestly right right totally <laughs> and i like i had to have a conversation i had to apologize we were sitting in my fiat it was fine um and i'm driving down the road going you know i'm included in my local community because i was born here yeah and they see my facial tattoos and they they still know that i'm not you know i'm not a threat and i'm still part of that community and i'm lucky that that is the case because yeah. not everyone has that even if you live in a big city yeah. or like a bigger town that's not always the situation um so i love that i love that you that you brought up the, the community aspect because it is something that i think people are super struggling with especially after our few years of um, isolation yeah yeah you're completely isolated um it's yeah. and it's so detrimental to being a pack animal you know yes. it goes against yes. every instinct that that is hardwired into us uh you know to be isolated like that 
Um, you know, and I, and I think, I think one of the other things that I'd like to mention, like within this topic is that, um, the term, terms like solitary practitioner or solitary witch, um, are, are, are both useful and harmful, uh, useful in the fact that like, when we have to go through these isolation, uh, times or in, in ideas where like, we don't have any other spiritual, like specifically spiritual community. Um, I think it's really good to start like, uh, thinking, um, I think people think that magic is hard um, and they overcomplicate it in their brain and think of like these elaborate rituals that you have to do. I'm like, oh yeah. no, you can just like, you know, uh, carve Yara into a loaf of bread or you can like, you know, think about it in terms of folk magic, in terms of very, very practical things that you integrate into your everyday life so that even if you aren't connected to other people, you have this like constant connection with your, with your practice. Um, and I really like that what you brought up about like, you know, if you don't have a spiritual community, there's, I mean, you can still bring your um your spiritual beliefs and the teachings of the runes with you when you um are going into com community in other ways beyond just spiritual um you know and and just really embrace that you know you can bring your moral value system into any situation oh absolutely um i i just created a, a little bit of a class for um, for some students, and they were wanting to know how to read. How do you read the runes? Like, um, it's not like we have a you know what they call it like the Celtic cross for tarot. Like, it's it's not like you know that was that was not one of the stone carvings that we have from uh, Northern Europe. Uh, was how to read them. Um, and what what are their relationships, and how do you how do you know if they're what it means when they're together? Mm -hmm. um, that was something I find sometimes hard to teach because I feel like the first thing you have to teach, and the first thing I had to understand, and how I got to that point for myself, was the fact that it became a worldview. So right. my yeah, my worldview is based upon. Uh, the the one of the very basics of the tenant of the Nornir, which is the past and the present equal the future. Mm. You can't escape it. It doesn't, you know, like um, we can change it. Absolutely, we can change things, you know. And uh, but it, it, it's it's not by wishing it to be changed. <laughs> so, right. Um, so for me, like, okay, the way I read and and kind of the form that I read with is informed by that part of the world view. Mm -hmm. So what, what things, or is there something that you can think of that kind of, at that point where something clicked in and it was like, I, I now not just have a memory of it, which I love that you said that because I believe that wholeheartedly, mm -hmm. um, but it like flipped a switch and then the way you saw the world was different and rooted in that in that cosmology. So, and this is interesting. Uh, th this is a really interesting question. One that 
I have thought a lot about and thought a lot about while I felt it happening. So, um, again, going kind of back to like when I was a teenager, um, and I too was, I was brought up in the, in a Methodist church. Mine was like a super liberal, like tambourine hitting, like acoustic guitar playing church. So it was a little bit different than other, uh, than other people who have been raised in, um, in more conservative, uh, uh, church settings. But, um, I remember when as a baby pagan, I was kind of trying to get used to this idea of, okay, there's like, there's not just like masculine God. And I was more exploring Wicca as a baby pagan, right? But there's also like this other like feminine energy. And I remember that like feeling that for the first time, feeling that like, oh, there is divine masculine and divine feminine energies. Um, and then, so that was an evolution moment for me. And then evolving more into uh, pretty quickly into my, um, my, my Norse pagan practice where there's not just like, you know, one and one, but there's like many deities and that aha moment and just learning what it feels like to, to interact with like, different deities as if you're interacting with different people with different personalities um yeah and that's that was kind of an aha moment for me like uh you know I feel like a lot of uh people have asked me especially in like my trans class uh like uh you know how uh how do you ask for answers from the gods or something <laughs> like that right um and and I'm like well depends on which which deity you're seeking out and uh, they all might have different answers for you because they're all different. <laughs> um, Absolutely. You know, and just kind of having like those little aha moments and, you know, and then um, as, as I began like strengthening my uh, relationship with the runes, I think my first relationship with a rune that I ever had a strong uh, connection with and still very much do to this day uh, is Fehu. Um, and, you know, understanding Fehu in the terms of where it came from in tribal communal societies and trying to decipher how I can use it in a capitalistic world, um, you know, and trying really hard to like, you know, not do things like uh, hoarding wealth, um, but at the same time, like also being like really careful with my finances. And, you know, um, just, you know, when you get like, whether it's gift cards or checks or like a stack of cash or whatever, putting it on the frere altar to be blessed before I go and circulate it back out into the universe again and really thinking about it in magical terms, um, but then starting to apply the rest of the runes and like all of these ways slowly and slowly and slowly. Um, I try to teach a rune class, uh, <laughs> and I think this is part of the answer to this question. <laughs> I, I tried to teach a rune class probably like eight years ago, uh, and I real and I really thought I knew a lot about the runes. <laughs> We've all had that moment where we're like, "Oh, I could do." Oh, never mind. Yeah, no. Uh, Odin <laughs> threw the whole stack of bricks at me. He's like, you know nothing. <laughs> I was like, oh, 
you're right. I know nothing. So then like, I like hibernated in, in my like rune zone uh, for years and, and really writing the book that I did forced me to do that work and, um, you know, writing my book because people kept asking me like, what, you know, what is a, uh, what is a good ethical source to read about the runes? I'm like, <laughs> unless it's scholarly, there really is none, <laughs> so, at least from my perspective. So um, I was just like, well, I guess I'll do something that I can actually recommend to people. <laughs> so um, it really forced me to do that work. I absolutely, I, uh, fuck yes, first of all. Um, it's, uh, it's very hard to find a source that wasn't, first of all, uh, written by someone else who wasn't living the, the structure um, of, of that, that time period. It's very hard, mm -hmm. um, if not impossible. Uh, and it's also hard for us to even, like, it's hard for us to understand what living in the 1950s would be like. Right. <laughs> so go back to 50 or 1150, like, it would, it's very difficult. Um, and I absolutely, I am not one of those, I am not a historian. Um, I am, I am not, I, I am grateful for the people who put the, the time and effort in to have that access to that information as they uncover it. And as it's uncovered with, you know, uh, new, new discoveries in anthropology mm -hmm. and new, new burial mound discoveries, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Um, and there is, what I think I've come to recently is that it's not about, um, living that because it's impossible mm -hmm. but it's about the conversation and the dialogue we're having includes the history and the past and it includes those gods who have now just as much as we have changed and the yeah. potential for them to change um mm -hmm. and and it's about having allowing for the conversation and allowing for the spirituality practice of paganism to be alive Yes. and allowing for it to grow and allowing for our gnosis that comes through because you're developing these relationships with these beings and you you are you in particular are going to have a different experience with them than I will or than Absolutely. other people will and and kind of allowing us to to do that um is very is very essential for yeah. for things to survive and much better than they did um back then absolutely so, modern I, gnosis I, I try to tell people modern gnosis is really really important for keeping this tradition alive um you know and just reminding people that you know all of these like ancient grimoires and stuff that like especially like the like um like sorcerer's screed uh that was from 18th century Iceland, for example, you know, mm -hmm. that's not that old, <laughs> mm -hmm. that's not that old. but nope. people like are getting tattoos of all the things, you know, like I have the delusion Stav Odin on this necklace from that book, you know, yeah. um, and yeah. stuff like that. Um, and, and I just like to remind people that like every, every piece of magic that we find out of like those grimoires and stuff, um, were an original thought to somebody at one time. So our original thoughts and our modern gnosis 
is really important for staying relevant in the year 2023 or whatever whatever year people will be listening to this podcast in the future. <laughs> absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. Thank you, thank you for saying that because I um, that's why it's called Rune Walking in Modern Times. So, what'd you think? The first half of the interview started out with curry, mead, and a mausoleum, and definitely went a-wandering, but into really good ideas, places, things that have to do with incorporating the runes and a tradition, more specifically, Norse paganism, into life. And how it's a way of, of being and a way of seeing the world, not just something you do on Sunday. I'm looking forward to sharing the rest of this interview with you next week. And I hope you tune back in for the second half of this interview, which is just as exciting as the first. So don't forget to check the show notes for all of the links if you feel so inclined and so pulled to work with Sophia. I hope you guys have a great upcoming week. And as always, may your weird be filled with health, wealth, strength, and virility. <laughs>